Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Hour number three of our show. Welcome back. I'm Bill Shanks with Russ Brown. Thank you very much for being with us. Our phone lines are open today, 478-646-ESPN. If you'd like to join us, talk sports, anything on your mind in the world of sports. We've been talking a little football here, Falcons free agency, Georgia recruiting, Georgia roster, and a little bit about the Braves as well. I wanted to mention a couple of things now. Tonight, Georgia will play in Arkansas, and this game will be on at 9 o'clock. And we'll have it on in Macon and Savannah. And it'll be a uh, pretty good matchup. Arkansas is 18-9 and nine on the year, 7-7 seven and seven in the SEC. Georgia is 16-11, in the conference. They're coming off an awful loss, 49 points to Alabama on Saturday. So we'll see how Georgia bounces back. And see, I, I, I don't want to have any skepticism about what Mike White has done this year. They're 16-11. They've got 10 more wins this year than they did last year. But what a good win this would be if they could be at an Arkansas team that's pretty good. That would be pretty good if they were able to do that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Uh, you know, it's it's they kind of leveled out after a strong start in conference play. But like you said, it it shouldn't take away from the turnaround. And obviously they hit a, a major road bump over the weekend. So I, th- I think for Georgia fans, you just want to feel good about your team. After the SEC tournament's wrapped up, maybe they, they might be able to make a run to the NIT too. So you, you're kind of playing for that as well. Which, I mean, I don't know how much interest there would be in that, but for the program and for those players to be able to continue playing into the postseason, I think would help and benefit them in the future. So, yeah, these games are still important uh, because you, you, you're, you're trying to get a higher seed, obviously, because you don't want to be playing – you know, four games in four days trying to win a conference tournament. So the higher seeded you are, you can, you know, start deeper in the tournament. And then the NIT is still out there. Absolutely, no doubt. So we'll see what happens tonight with the Dogs playing the Razorbacks, the Hogs. Nine o'clock tip, and again, here in Macon, Warner Robins, Rochelle, Pinehurst, all of our original stations, you can hear the game. And also on in Savannah, 104.7 WSCG. You can hear it there as well. Georgia Tech, 11-16 on the year, 3-13 the conference. We'll play at Pittsburgh tonight. That is a 7 o'clock tip, a couple of hours from that game, where Pittsburgh 19-8 on the year, 12-4 in the ACC. So we'll see if the Yellow Jackets can continue their play as they've been doing a little bit better as of late, but a tough matchup tonight against Pittsburgh. Also, um, Hawks don't get back in action until Friday now. The All-Star break lasts several games, uh, days rather, and so Atlanta will get back in action on Friday when they'll host Cleveland. They'll open the second part of the season with four straight home games, which will be very needed for them to get back uh, on track and uh, to try to have a uh, good run here in the second half. Six o'clock tonight, by the way, it is the Yellow Jackets and the Eagles Georgia Tech and Georgia Southern in baseball. We'll see what happens to that. Both, uh, well, Georgia Tech, I'm sorry, was 3-0 and in the first week of the season. And also, all right, go Braves. And also the uh, Eagles 2-1 and after winning 2-3 from West Virginia 
over the weekend as well. All right, just had a brace fit. I think we're getting a little excited about the season. Don't yeah, you? I think so. I, I think that the anticipation is really starting to build. I think there's a belief this team's going to be really good. And not that they haven't been good, but this this may be this. I mean, again, a few things have to fall in the right way, but and it's that pitching staff. Yeah, uh, it's just it's deep. It's really, really, really deep. I'm so glad too because Mets get a lot of publicity because of their rich owner. They spend money. They don't care. They just spend money left and right. They really haven't helped their offense so far, which that's going to be interesting to watch. Phillies, obviously, coming off a World Series appearance, and then they added Trey Turner. It's a pretty big deal. But here are the Braves getting a lot of publicity, as you said, and that, that that's good. Not that it matters, but it good, it's good. And I, I really, again, I'm going to say this every day until the first game of the season, please get off to a good start. Let's just see that, and I think they've got a schedule that could really help that cause too, and that would be very good compared to last year when they were twenty-three and twenty-seven. And Russ and I do not want to be here in late May saying what the heck's going on again. You just you don't want to have to rally like that. Mm-hmm. And you know there was a there, there's a theory out there that they burned it up in the regular season trying to win the division, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but that's just – you don't want to have to go through a season like that every year, and I don't think you you can expect to be a 500 team through the first two months of the season and have 100-plus wins in back-to-back seasons. I, that's especially, you know, Philadelphia has improved their roster. You know, the, I'm not sure the Mets are better than they were a year ago. I'm not either. Um, yeah, you know. The pitching staff may be better because of the number of starts they get out of Verlander compared to DeGrom. But it's like you said, what have they done to improve that offense? So, yeah, I just feel real good about things going into the season. And I think a lot of Braves fans are excited. And, look, and not to make excuses, Philadelphia won the series. But, you know, Strider was banged up. Freed was sick. You know, you, you, you want to get, get back to that postseason and get another crack at them. Anderson wasn't there. I read, read the article about Ian Anderson the other day, and he said, you know, I was dying in the playoffs because I couldn't help. I couldn't be there. I mean, oh, I, man. And he admitted that he struggled, but he said, you know, knowing how I had performed against the Astros the year before in the World Series and there to see, you know, I think what he was saying was, all right, when Spencer Strider couldn't go, I could have been in there pitching right there, and I, I was not healthy. And I, that's tough to watch if you're a player. All right, four seven eight six four six ESPN is our number. Let's get to the phones, and we start with Ken and Macon. Hello, Killer. How you doing? Uh, I got something to tell you. That's a, I mean, okay. I hate to be, I hate to be kind of uh, pessimistic, or whatever. But, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking, Coach. I don't know, if Coach Martin, Coach Mike, Coach uh, Mike Bobo. Have confidence in Carson Beck like he did Stinson Bennett, which you probably don't. That's what kind of worries me. And if Carson Beck screws up, that kind of scared me even more because Bandy Griff and Gunnar Stockton don't have hardly no experience. And that's scary against a team like Florida, Tennessee, Ole Miss. I mean, it's not really the team, it's the quarterback that what scared me. Well, look. I think that Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo are going to let the best man win this job. Uh, several people have said, Chip Towers included last week, we had him on on Thursday, that it, it seems at this point in time that it's Carson Beck's job to lose. Carson Beck is the most experienced of the backups. He's been in there. He's gotten snaps. He's been the number two for a while. He was the number two coming out 2021, if you remember. 
killer behind JT Daniels, and then he was kind of taken over by Stetson Bennett. I think the competition is going to be wide open, and while Carson Beck perhaps could lose it, someone else could win it. And I'm I'm to the point where it's it's like if if Gunnar Stockton is better than Carson Beck, let's see him. If Brock Vandegrift is better than Carson Beck or Gunnar Stockton, let's see him. May the best man win. And look, I, I think we do have to trust Kirby Smart in that role. That if if he feels that Gunnar Stockton is better, for example, than Carson Beck, let's ride with him. And I, I know that may not make you happy because you want to see Carson Beck, and I understand that. I want to see Carson Beck. But if if Kirby and Mike feel like Gunner's better, let's go with it. Yeah, but I think Carson Beck's going to come back. If that happens, he's going he gonna to leave Georgia then because I think that's going to be it if he if he can't. Well, but uh, who cares? If he, if he can't win the job, then I don't care if he leaves. It's not a big deal to me because he's, he's got a, ch- a shot to try to win the job and if he can't take it, if Gunnar Stockton, for example, proves he's better, and I think that's a possibility. I'm not going to count Gunnar Stockton out of this competition. I mean, I think Carson is in the lead going into the competition, but if Gunnar is better, then I'm for Gunnar. Yeah, and also about the line of brave one comment about them. I mean, the way I look at Bill, I understand you got these other veteran players, but I just feel like the Braves always been known for they got a great farm team. And they need to work with that farm team and get them players up because they're going to be better and better. If you use people that's already been and that almost has been, that's going to be that's going to hurt you. You need somebody young coming in, especially pitching a shortstop or whatever. You need young players coming in there to meet. Well, they got they got a young player. Vaughn Grissom's 21 years old. He's coming in to play shortstop, right? I'm just worried about left field. <laughs> okay, well, left field is a different – Situation: We've got two veteran players, Eddie Rosario and Marcel Azuna. They're going to be competing for playing time. One's a right-handed batter. One's a left-handed batter. They both had success before in the big leagues. And, again, may the best man win. I don't care who which one it is. I don't think you do either as long as they're producing. And, if and hey, if one of them gets the job and they don't produce in a week or two, guess what? The other one may get a shot. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, the Hawks. They they ain't gonna go nowhere. I guess they're gonna get rid of that coach, and they probably be in the Ken Killer Killer. I, I got an overnight book report project for you. I want you to call in tomorrow and have something positive to say. Okay, I will. Okay, thank you. Bye. Killer is just worrying me a little bit. He's real negative for no reason whatsoever. I don't know why. I mean, there's a whole spring practice. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the portal before and after that. It just there, – there's a long way to go before we get to worrying about who the quarter – and, oh, by the way, Georgia opens the year with UT Martin. It's They'll figure it out. <laughs> they don't have to have this thing decided by the first game of the season. I mean, you want somebody to emerge and be the man, but it, they're going to be fine. You know, the the, the – uh, Years where there is a good opening game, like a couple years ago when they played Clemson, that was so exciting to look forward to. Wow, you got the Clemson Tigers. I mean, if I had it my way, Georgia and Clemson would open the season every September. Every Labor Day weekend, it'd be Georgia versus Clemson. I'm serious. I don't care how good Clemson is or if they're not. I think I think as much as Georgia should – 
end their regular season with Georgia Tech, Georgia should begin their season with Clemson. Does that mean they might occasionally lose? Yep. Do I care? Well, I care, but, I mean, I, I want that good competition, and I think it's silly to not play Clemson every year. They're, what, 47 miles away from Athens, Georgia? I love those games to start the season. Two years ago was great. But this year, <laughs> this coming season, with a new quarterback, I'm kind of glad that there is a cash for clunker game to start the season off because whether it's Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton or Carson Beck, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be able to allow their new starting quarterback, the post-Stetson Bennett era of Georgia football, begin with a game that should be easy to win. And compared to having a game like a Clemson or someone else that would be much more tougher to beat, I think it's a good thing. And I'm sure Kirby Smart somewhat grateful for that too because you, you never know about a new quarterback situation. I mean, I think for the most part, Georgia is not in a position where they're going to have to score a whole lot of points just coming here, but you're still going to want to. And to be able to kind of ease him in to the, the offense and a slow pace if needed. And it may not be needed. It may, there may be so many players around the quarterback with a great running back room with Milton and with Edwards and with the Robinson kid, the kid coming in, and then the receivers. Of course, you've got the best tight end in the country. It may not matter. But just not having to worry about Tennessee and instead having Tennessee Martin, I'll take that every day of the week when you got a new quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're bringing in some new guys on the offensive line as well. Um, and it, it just sets up perfect, you know, to be re- – <laughs> To be ready to, to, to rock and roll when the tougher games come later on down the road. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm sure Kirby Smart wouldn't want to hear us talking about how, yeah, they can just ease into the season. <laughs> but, I mean, it's true. There, there's a lot of room for error to start. And, and, if they, and if those coaches don't have a clear indicator of who they want their quarterback to be, I mean, in that first game, you can, you can tinker with that a little bit. Um, you know, you're not going to want to present it that way. You're not going to want to talk about it that way in the media or team meetings. But in the coaches' meetings behind closed doors, you know, hey, well, who do you feel the best about? Let's give him the first series, and then we'll give the second series to the other guy. And if, you know, you need to give a third series to a third guy to see all three of them, you know, well, you can do that. So, I, but, the, the, but the first step is spring practice. Yep. That, I mean, that's, we got to get through that first, Killer. We can't, you can't be worrying about the September yet. Well, and with all due respect to South Carolina, and I do respect South Carolina, but that game's in Athens. And I, I know what happened a few years ago in Athens, four years ago in Athens with that game, but we won't try to think about that. Georgia's got to get to the game on September the 30th at Auburn. Um, Auburn, we know the rivalry that Auburn is. And that'll be week five, Russ. I hate those seasons where they have five games in the month of September. It just makes me sick because by, by the time you get – here's the thing. Here's why I hate this. By the time you get to the morning of October the 1st, five of your 12 regular season games are over with. I mean, it's just like you blink your eyes and throughout September and the season's almost halfway over. But when they get to the morning of September the 30th, they've played four games. Hopefully they'll be 4-0 with, with, as long as the catastrophe doesn't happen. They better, by gosh, know who the quarterback is by game five, regardless of who the opponent is, but especially because it's at Auburn. And that's something they probably have in their mind. Okay, 
We go with Carson Beck. He fails. He's not it. Gunnar Stockton better be ready by September the 30th because that's when the season really starts. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be ready to go. I, that You don't win back-to-back national championships without by not having a plan. You know, it's, it's I, I've heard people say, well, you know, what if there's the winner of the spring and both quarterbacks transfer? I guarantee you there's a plan for that too. Like, I would just – you have to trust your, your coaching staff. You really do. You can't just be doom and gloom all the time. Heck, you're going back-to-back national championships. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. No, it's, it's a great time to be a Bulldog fan, that is for sure. All right, um, we mentioned earlier in the show that today was the first full squad workout for the Braves down at North Port, Northport, Florida. And um, – Brian Sicker had his little press conference, I mean, his little uh, team meeting today. So he was able to uh, remind people when they got there uh, of the uh, meaning of being a Brave, I bet, was part of the conversation and the Braves way and all that stuff. Uh, The only thing he would tell reporters that he said is uh, a big thing to realize that we have an entire spring training. And I told them, I said, you know what, it's probably too long, but you need it all. And especially for pitchers, you know. And that, that is one thing I think he's always reminded the players is that it's, and of course the last few years, right, it's been a little bit uh, truncated. Mm-hmm. Last year with the labor strife and the year before that with, with the um, somewhat truncated spring training because of COVID. And the year before that, it was – really truncated because of COVID. It was through by the 14th of, of March. So this is the first one in four years. It's been a quote-unquote normal spring training with a full six, seven weeks of, 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 the, uh, of the spring. But it's all about the pitchers needing that time. You, you, you need that time, and pitchers have to get through these aches and pains like we've heard that Kyle Wright had with the shoulder and – you know, the hamstring for Mike, Michael Soroka. It's all part of the process of getting through a seven-week period before you start the year. And hitters are going to be ready by about St. Patrick's Day. Pitchers, well, you hope they are. And that's why it's so long. But I'm glad that he kind of reminded them of that and reminded them of, hey, look, you got plenty of time to make an impression, right? You got – you got seven weeks to show us something, and there's some competition for spots this year, which is good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, like you said, the hitters will be ready to go. That's why I was surprised over the weekend to see some people just kind of freaking out, like, why, why did Marcelo Zuna wait until the last day that he could report to report? Because he'll be ready in three weeks. He doesn't need that much time. But the pitchers needed Kyle Wright this year, like you said. It's going to be vitally important because it sounds like there's enough time to have him ramped up and ready to go and still kind of – I don't want to say baby him along, but bring him along slowly uh, and have him ready to rock at, right there at the start of the regular season. So that's good. And I wonder, too, like if we'll see maybe fewer arm injuries or issues with pitchers because they do get the full time now. I know they had the, the guys they worked with and stuff like that, but it's like, you know, and I remember uh, during the pandemic, Kevin Coulter, who played here locally at Mercer, would help us out on the radio and talking to him and he was a minor league pitcher in the Guardians organization, and he's out of baseball now. But, you know, it's not like in the off season. you know, you can just go out in the backyard and, and, and play catch with your kids. You know, your, your kid can't catch a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. So you can't – these guys can't work out with just anybody. So now they're there at spring, 
and they can throw every day and get in, get on a regimented program and get ready to rock and roll. Absolutely. Just preparing for the season one day at a time and uh, taking it easy, but not, not pushing too hard, but still getting prepared for a long six-month season. 478-646-ESPN. We're at the Taco Shed here in Warner Robins. We will take a break, be back with more phone calls and more sports talk on this Tuesday right after this. Here's breaking news on the Bill Shank Show. ESPN has reported that the Atlanta Hawks have fired head coach Nate McMillan. It has now been confirmed by The Athletic that Nate McMillan has been fired by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, A little surprised. Uh, I think we believe that Nate would last the rest of the season. They have only 23 regular season games left to go and then the playoffs, whatever that may be. Joe Prunty has been named as the interim head coach. He is a 54-year-old who has been an assistant coach in the NBA since 1996 with uh, different coaches, including with the San Antonio Spurs, with Greg Popovich. He's been with Dallas, Portland, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and now with Atlanta. So Prunty, for the first time, well, he was the interim head coach for Milwaukee a few years ago as well. He will get another opportunity as the interim. I do not believe he will be strongly considered as a potential replacement for this team. Nate McMillan, the Hawks this year are 29-30. and 30. They're in eighth place the Eastern Conference. They were 1-4 last year in the playoffs in the series with Miami. And in the regular season with uh, Nate McMillan as the head coach last year, they were 43-39. and 39. Which means, Russ, that since the playoffs, when Atlanta went on the run, they were 27-11 in the regular season after Nate McMillan took over. They then, of course, went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, beating New York and Philadelphia before losing to Milwaukee. But since that series with the Milwaukee Bucks, Russ, the Atlanta Hawks, including the playoffs last year, were 73-73. and And I think the mediocrity that had set in for a team that we believed after that Milwaukee series would be one of the top four, at least in the East, got too much for the ownership, and they finally decided to pull the trigger. I I guess. I mean, maybe they're still trying to make a run here into the playoffs because, you know, I think the way the team just kind of quit in those two games before the All-Star break started where they just didn't bother to show up. I mean, you can't put that product out there on the field or the court every night so you needed to do something to shake this team up I mean this is I'm like you I'm a little bit surprised I thought this would come at the end of the season but maybe they're trying to fire these players up a little bit and you know it worked two years ago but you know if 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 it happens again and all of a sudden this team starts to play well then you've obviously got a bigger issue than who the head coaches for this basketball team are you have a team that has a hard time being motivated and you can't just keep firing coaches every 18 months to keep them motivated so it's you know it's it's the first step in a new direction for this franchise we'll see what it is um you know i I don't think this is going to solve anything but when they fired lloyd pierce i didn't think it solved anything and they went on a run that year so so we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. Woj from ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, just tweeted, the Hawks are starting a search for a new head coach immediately. Among the top characteristics in the search, player development, accountability, and getting the Hawks offense and defense in the NBA's top ten. Uh, that's kind of funny, I think. But anyway, um, 
I mean, that accountability. That, that yeah. just kind of says it all right there, doesn't it? No. Uh, interesting tweet. You'll get a kick out of this, Russ. Chris Kirshner, who was an exceptional beat writer for the Atlanta Hawks with the Athletic before he left to go and become a beat writer for the New York Yankees with the Athletic. Chris did a magnificent job. They haven't even replaced him, if that tells you anything about how good he was. They, they just don't even have a beat writer right now at the Athletic, which is unfortunate. Kirshner just tweeted, the Hawks were in a very tough spot after the Eastern Conference run, probably needed to do an actual coaching search. And, and I want to expound on that a little bit. Look, um, when Nate McMillan took over from Lloyd Pierce, the Hawks were 14-20. and 20. It was obvious that Lloyd Pierce and Trey Young were not getting along. There were issues. Lloyd Pierce, fairly or unfairly, needed to go. Something wasn't right. Nate McMillan took over. Nate McMillan had been a coach in the league with Indiana and with Portland and had not done very much at all. He got on that run with the Hawks after he took over. They went 27-11 in their final 38 games. And obviously, um, I mean, an unbelievable run. Unbelievable run that went into the playoffs when they beat New York and then Philadelphia and then played Milwaukee very, very tough. At the end of that year, I, I, I didn't particularly want to keep Nate McMillan, but they had no choice. He, he had led the team on its deepest playoff run uh, ever, and I say that because when the only other time they were in the Eastern Conference Finals, they got swept by Cleveland and LeBron James. So they at least won a couple of games in that series with Milwaukee. Trey Young was hurt. It, it was unfortunate, but Milwaukee beat him and went on to win the NBA Finals. You had to keep Nate McMillan. It would have made sense if you had gone in another direction because you did need to almost reward him for what had happened. But we expected more. We expected that same kind of basketball that we saw in a tremendous run, the most fun we've ever had, I think, in this state, going back to the Dominique days in the late 80s, 35 years ago. We had a fun time watching the, the Hawks, and there were people who were not NBA fans, like my mother, <laughs> who started watching the Atlanta Hawks because they were winning, and it was a fun time. It was fun to watch them. They were they, they had that unbelievable comeback against Philadelphia, remember? They had an unbelievable string of games. So you felt like, all right, Nate, you do deserve to st stay here and have the job. But then after he got the job, they never got over that hump of being a 500-type team. Last year we tried to give them a little bit, at least I did, of – I think you agree with me, a little bit of a pass because they had COVID issues around Christmas of 2021 – they had some games that should have been canceled that were not. The NBA was canceling other games left and right, but the Hawks had to play that. And, I mean, they were signing people off the street, basically, to play their games. It, it seemed very unfair. Then they got their players back. They went on a seven-game winning streak. And you're like, okay, here they go. And then they play like crap against Miami. This year, it's been a mess, a damn mess, because there's no way, even after trading Kevin Herter, and weakening the bench after bringing in DeJounte Murray, there was no way that this team should be a 500 team. And they're 29 and 30. And like you said, more than anything, more than the record, more than any other number I've just spat out, the fact that those two games before the All-Star break, they quit. 
They had two wins that were very impressive, and they could have ended that run before the All-Star break with a five-game winning streak, and instead they came out in those two games, Russ, and they quit. And you can do nothing but point the finger at the head coach for that type of performance. What else can you do? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, you know, I think some of this falls on the players too, but you've got – the coach is where the change has to come because you're not going to read – you know, you're not going to be able to go out and get a whole bunch of different players. Not yet. So, well, I mean, this is it, right? You know, this is – the question still remain is is Trey Young ultimately the problem here because he's had, he butts heads with coaches. I mean, if he butts heads with the third guy that comes in here, you know, it's three strikes. Yep. I mean, it is what it is. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I, the names that are coming out already, I mean, Quinn Schneider, Kenny Atkinson, uh, the former Celtics coach. Uh, I mean, it's there. there's some good names in this Absolutely. search. I just, you know, and there's a talented roster. So you're going to have to find that guy that's convinced he can come in here and and really, I'll say it this way: get Trey Young to kind of enter it in that second phase of his career, where you do grow up a little bit, and you do become more of a leader on and off the floor. And you do, I mean, you you, I, I mean, I assume he wants to win basketball games. But you know, the way those last two games went before the All Star break, I'm not, I'm not fully convinced on that. I, I think sometimes these guys are just punching the clock. Well, uh, and Woj has, as you said, already mentioned Kenny Atkinson, who is a former Hawks assistant with uh, with. Um, Milwaukee's coach. Oh, uh, Mike Budenholzer. Mike Budenholzer, thank you. Excuse me. With Mike Budenholzer. Kenny was here with Mike Budenholzer. He's he's going to be on everybody's list. And, and then, as you said, Quinn Snyder, he also mentioned Buck's assistant, Charles Lee. With all due respect to Charles Lee, I have no idea who he is. They don't need a first-time head coach in the NBA, not with this group. They need someone who's been a head coach. Quinn Snyder's been a head coach at the college level with Missouri. Right? Yep, that's right. Yep. And then he's been a head coach with Utah. He was an assistant, I think, with Pop for a while. He was assistant in at Atlanta. He, I'm trying to think of who he was with in Atlanta. But uh, I would love Quinn Snyder. I think Quinn Snyder would be an excellent head coach. He left the, the um, Utah Jazz last year, and I think it surprised a lot of people. But I think Quinn Snyder would be an exceptional choice for this team. And Wojari says he will be at the top of the list. He was with Atlanta in the 13 and 14. Well, that would have been with Budenholzer, right? So, yeah, that, he was with Atlanta for one year as a head coach, and that would have been with Mike Budenholzer. So, Quinn Snyder has a little bit of a history with the Hawks, which is good. He was an assistant coach. He, he played at Duke. He was a, a Dukey, and he – was a coach with the Clippers, then with Duke, with Coach K at Duke. Then he was the head coach at Missouri from 99 through 2006. Then he got fired at Missouri, went to the Austin Toros, the CBA team. Then he went to the NBA as an assistant with the Sixers, Lakers, and then with the Hawks. And then he became the head coach of the Utah Jazz from 2014 through 2022. And he had a – I mean, he had a good run with the Jazz. They missed the playoffs the first two years, lost the conference semifinals for two years. They they got really upset last year, and he lost the first round. And they, I think, with mutual, like it's eight years, let's kind of go. Um, I love Quinn Snyder. I just I've I've heard him talk before. I've heard interviews with him. I think he's smart. I, I don't think you can get a better candidate than Quinn Snyder for this job. And and like you say, if 
if if after bringing someone, particularly though, Russ, to me, with res, with respect to all the other candidates that may not have the experience as a head coach, you bring someone in here with head coaching experience, and Atkinson does not have as many years as Quinn, but he was still in Brooklyn for a few years, and there's still issues, then it's not the coach. Right, and I've heard people say about – Atkinson and Schneider, like maybe they're not the, the quintessential players coach for today's NBA player. Good. 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 <laughs> awesome. That's exactly what I want to hear because uh, I don't think too many people are very impressed with today's NBA player at the moment. And as fans, we want to see the team compete. We want to see the team win basketball games and compete for championships. And they're not doing that right now, and it's not because of a lack of talent. So – Get somebody in here that can push the right buttons. And if the next guy can't push the right buttons, go find some players that have buttons you can push. Yep. You know? You know, can we try – how about how about if they don't want to show up and play basketball, how about we try to work out a deal for Anthony Edwards and bring him home? He wants to play. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yep. I, this is – it's an important it's, – it's, it's a long play. I mean, this isn't something we're going to figure out overnight. But I, it does feel like this is a crossroads yet again for this organization. Because here's the thing. If they get it right, I think you can win a championship I, with building a team around Murray and Young. I really do believe that. But you've got to get the right coach in here. You've got to get the Murray extension done. If not, you've got to start thinking about tearing this thing down. Another reason I'd like a veteran head coach to take over this team, and I, you may say, well, they just fired one in Nate McMillan, and I get that. But Nate McMillan's a very different personality now, and Quinn Snyder is much more fiery, and Kenny Atkinson is really fiery now. He's a – Kenny Atkinson's a hard ass. Is the respect factor. I, I, I just don't think a first-year head coach is going to command respect, and, and that also goes in the front office, Russ. If, if Tony Ressler, the owner of this team, hires a veteran coach. A veteran coach is going to want more from the ownership compared to a first-year head coach. First-year head coach, they mentioned the Charles Lee guy. And he may be – I mean, he may be the next Phil Jackson for all I know. Mm -hmm. But with all due respect, I just think they do not need to go down that road. A veteran head coach can try to demand ownership to do something like you can't trade Kevin Herter for because you don't want to go over the <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Like, this is this is how this operation functions, and here's his role in it and why yeah. we need him. Yeah, so don't trade him. A, a first-year head coach isn't going to have the cojones to tell uh, owner that, whereas if you're Quinn Snyder and you've coached in the league for ten, uh, eight years, you, you may have more currency just because your background as a veteran coach. Obviously, Nate McMillan didn't have that. Which is his fault. He should have. He should have raised hell when, when they were going to trade Kevin Herter for salary cap reasons. I mean that because what you said is true. This is a championship caliber roster, but if you keep on pairing off players because you don't want to go over the the cap, we're going to be in this position in another two years. We'll be sitting here at the taco shed, and it'll be Quinn Snyder just got fired because they won't do what they need to do, and that's a shame. So. Anyway, um, Nate McMillan's gone. We've said it for several weeks that while we weren't breaking any rule, any any news, there was no doubt about the fact that Nate McMillan was not going to be the head coach of this team moving forward. And the Hawks, whether it's Landry Fields or Tony Ressler or Nick Ressler or someone in position of power, has decided that now is the time to go ahead and cut the cord with Nate McMillan and move on. And you know what, as Woj said, they will be able to have a coaching search now and truly find the right person. And look, 
week seven, Quinn Snyder left and decided he, – he, he, he made the decision not to coach this year that, hey, if, if things didn't go well, that could be a really good candidate. And I, I tell you, I, I, I hate to not allow them to go through the process and say, man, that just seems like the best candidate, but I'd be shocked if they find someone better, won't you? Yeah. He's yeah. a good candidate. Yeah, that's, there's, some, there's some good candidates out there for sure. So hopefully they get it right. They get it right this time. And, and I think, again, it's very early in a bit of the names that have been thrown out there. I, I think I would be happy with with any of these guys, really. Yeah, I, Atkinson would not be a, a. I would not be disappointed with Kenny. I think Quinn's the better candidate, but I, I think Kenny would have that respect. And Kenny's got a background with with uh, Trey. I think Kenny was here in his first year, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. as a rookie. So I would not be disappointed with that at all because he got the raw deal in Brooklyn. I mean, that was ridiculous. Yeah. And so anyway. Nate McMillan out as the Hawks head coach. If you'd like to join us to talk about it, 478-646-3776. We will take a break and be back with more sports talk right after this. 545, quarter till top of the hour. Bill and Russ here on the radio from the Taco Shed in Warner Robins. Thank you very much for being with us. Kind of funny that every picture I've seen on Twitter attached to the stories that are coming out about Nate McMillan being fired by the Atlanta Hawks has him crossing his arms. And that's Nate McMillan. Every look, that yeah. one right there. No, they yeah, I, I just and I think Kirkland was the the first one to really point it out. You know what, Nate McMillan's just standing over there with his arms folded, staring at everybody like he's an angry dad. And and that's every picture they're using on social media right now. Unbelievable, every one of them. Hawks will get back in action on Friday, February the twenty fourth. And that'll game, that game will be at Atlanta against Cleveland. The Hawks actually open up the second part of the season with a four-game homestand, if you will. Friday versus Cleveland, Sunday versus Brooklyn Nets, who just gave an extension to Jacques Vaughn, former Hawk point guard. Great guy. The next Tuesday at home against Washington and next Friday at home against Brooklyn. So the Hawks are um, going to be at home for a couple of, of games before they have two games in Miami, two games in Washington, come back home to play Boston, Minnesota, and Golden State, which will be a hell of a homestand right there. So, look, um, the reaction from this team on this coaching change, I mean, what, what, what should we expect? They're, they're playing some teams that Cleveland's good, Brooklyn obviously is in transition, Washington's always competitive, Portland not so much but they were tough when they played mouth west but you know it, it'll be interesting to see what their reaction will be to this new coach uh, uh, yeah it's it's this is a hard team to figure i mean that when the story broke uh from the athletic i guess it's been about 3 or 4 weeks ago about the dysfunction in the organization you know they they went on a five game winning streak and i think you'll probably see a similar bump off of this news but it's the same team that Last Monday showed up in Charlotte, North Carolina to play a 14-win team and got absolutely embarrassed. So, so you don't know what to expect from this bunch. And you just – I don't think you can trust this team. You know, and and just – and they'll do it. They'll come out probably and win on Friday. And we'll – about a week from now, they'll have, like, gone on a little bit of a winning streak and they'll start to pull you back in. Mm -hmm. And and then they'll just, you know, do what the Hawks do. I just – I hope this is the first of a lot of change for the for the team, and and I hope 
that there's some maturity in the locker room, maybe a commitment to John Collins. Um, you know, this is just it, it's going to be an important offseason for this organization. You know, the the opinion of the new coach, especially if it is a veteran head coach, Russ, is going to be interesting in the in the interviews. Again, the last time there was a coaching change, there was no interview. They hired the assistant coach, who was Nate McMillan, and gave him the job, then he kept it after a great run. So there was no process to go through about, okay, what do you think about our roster? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you do with our roster? What do you think we need? Those kind of questions. Those kind of questions need to be asked. They do. They do. in this organization, I mean, you know, and again, the public conversations and private conversations can be different things, but – uh, it was a huge red flag for me when the uh, Landry Fields, the general manager, in an interview he did with the Atlanta Journal Constitution, pointed to an eight and seven record as signs of improvement. <laughs> so it just is. And Alex Anthopoulos talks about self evaluation all the time. And is there enough of that going on in that front office? And you know, and it's it, it might not be a bad thing to go through this interview process and have those conversations with potential candidates. And, and maybe you hear some things you don't want to hear. Well, I'm not sure I want this job. I mean, this this y'all have gone through two coaches in four years, and yeah. it's it's always because they're button heads with the star player. Can I talk to him? You know, before I think about taking this job to make sure he's is he coachable? You know, I hate to ask that question, yeah. but those are the things that are probably going to come up. Shams Sharania of The Athletic has just tweeted this out. The Hawks' head coaching candidates are expected to include Bucks assistant Charles Lee, Kings assistant Jordy Fernandez, Warriors assistant Kenny Atkinson, Spurs assistant Mitch Johnson, G League South Bay's Miles Simon, and former Jazz coach Quinn Snyder. Shams then points out that Charles Lee, who served as an assistant under Mike Boonholzer in Atlanta from 2014 through 2018, will be a serious candidate for the Hawks head coach opening. Sources said Lee was promoted to associate head coach of the Bucks last all season. That was after Darvin Ham got the Lakers job. So uh, I don't know much. Of, I don't remember Charles Lee. Maybe I'll remember him when I um, see the uh, his picture um, since he was with with Budenholzer in Atlanta. And um, so, anyway, um, that's that's interesting. I, I, I just – I think a first-time head coach would be a mistake. I, I do. I, I just – I think it would be a mistake. I mean, this, this young man is 38 years old. And, again, uh, I said it earlier, kind of in, in jest, but he may be the next best head coach in the world, for all I know. I just think this group of players needs someone they can respect. And to me, that's someone who we, – and we here's the bad thing. We hoped that with Nate McMillan. We, right. just, we said the same thing two years ago about, well, if they don't respect Lloyd Pierce, how are they not going to respect Nate McMillan? He was a point guard in the league for a long time with Seattle. He's coached two other teams. How can they not respect him? And I don't think they did. No. I don't think they give a damn about him. I don't think they did either. And I, and I do. I don't believe – uh, I don't know. It's just I'm trying not to get sucked into this too much because <laughs> it's just the, the, the it's just disappointing. The Hawks will 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 let you down. So uh, again, uh, this is hopefully this is the first step in a number of things we're going to see between now and the start of the 23-24 season to get this ship righted because it, it, the the last 
two seasons have just been a total disappointment. I mean, just to go from the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, you come back, you have a mediocre season last year. Okay, well, the front office shakes it up with the big trade for DeJounta Murray, and you get all excited, and then it's just the same old Hawks, you know? So I, hopefully this is the catalyst for, for the change that they need to, to get back to being that team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals. I hope so. Charles Lee was a candidate for the Lakers job, and the Utah job that was open after Quinn Snyder left, he was also a finalist for the Wizards coaching job. So he's been a candidate before. They actually Milwaukee actually promoted Charles Lee to the associate head coach after Darvin Ham left to go to the Lakers in an effort to try to keep him uh, on the Budenholzer staff. So again, maybe he's the guy. I, I don't. I don't know. I. I just. I would. My preference would be someone. With with experience, because I I don't know I I just I think you got to have someone who can command some respect and yeah. whatever reason they didn't respect Nate McMillan right because of his personality May, and, and that might you know what and that could be it it could just be they had the wrong personalities yeah. in here and it's and it has nothing to do with the players you, you know and and as a fan you know, that's what you hope for uh, because you don't want it to be the players they're a lot harder to replace. Uh, Sam Amico just tweeted out that uh, Landry Fields will meet with the media tomorrow at eleven o'clock. So oh, wow. I'll be curious to hear what he has to say. Yeah, no, that that that's good. I mean, it's good. They they've got to have some some um, accountability here, and because I, I I think we we will know within a year of, of whether or not the the um, new coach has been able to command that respect or whether it's the same old story with this group of players, it's just going to have to be a problem. Field says, says in a release, decisions like these, especially in season, are always extremely difficult, but we believe it's in the best interest for our team to move forward with another voice leading the way. That, well, no, that's going to assume that Nate McMillan had a voice leading the way. <laughs> <laughs> we wondered about that sometimes. Yeah, we, we weren't sure, but anyway. Uh, he's been the coach with Seattle, Portland, Indiana, and Atlanta. He's got 760 wins, and Nate McMillan is uh, out of another coaching job. And Joe Prunty, P-R-U-N-T-Y, longtime 20-plus-year assistant coach who had an interim job in Milwaukee a few years ago before they hired Budenholzer. He is the new interim head coach for the Atlanta Hawks. We're at the Taco Shed here in Warner Robins near the Museum of Aviation on Highway 247, and you are listening to The Bill Shanks Show.